I want to um, dig in for a, a moment or two today around this concept of facilitating corporate presence. We've had quite a journey in the last couple of weeks and it's been, uh, been just a touch of fun. Um, and it doesn't have to be over yet, that's fine. Um, it, it has only just begun and a lot of the time I think we get the idea that when God shows up and does something special that it's a bit random. Um, you know, God sovereignly just kind of rocked up and did something special this week. And while the sovereignty of God always plays a part, I want to suggest it's never as random as we think it is, that there are actually factors that set us up for encounter corporately that I, I, I risk the heretical a little here. Um, we have more control over it than we think. Now, I'm not suggesting that we can control God or manipulate God, but I am suggesting that we can learn to host his presence in a way that miraculous breakthrough is a whole lot more likely than if we don't. And that, that's what I want to talk into. Because I, I don't want to leave all of this to chance. Our, our top pillar strategically, if you look at our values document, there are four pillars strategically in terms of what we do. And the number one is that we establish zones of presence that facilitate encounter. So this is mission critical numero uno right here. If we don't learn to do this, blow the rest. Because it's, you know, gong, resounding gong, clanking, simple kind of stuff. But we learn to do this well, everything else flows from it. Um, more is possible in the corporate often than individually. How do I know this? Genesis chapter 11, you, and there's a couple of these bits that I've talked into before and I'm just going to talk into them again, so there. You're welcome. Um, I have learned that you need to do something at least three times in three different ways from about five different angles before the penny drops to the level that it needs to drop. So welcome to angle number 3.2. Um, in Genesis chapter 11, we see an example kind of on the bad side of the power of agreement. Now, this, isn't, this is just the intro bit. So if you're getting really planted there in Genesis 11, we're going to move right away from there in just a moment, but just by way of intro. Um, now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Hopefully that's not dinner because that would not taste good. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with towers that reach us to heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the whole face of the earth. Now, get this. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Hence, he said, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they're not going to understand each other. So God saw that a people, even who were aligning against the kingdom of heaven, that if they speaking one language had a common aim, nothing was going to be impossible for them. Now, if that's true on that side, how much more is it true on this side? Psalm 133, it's a psalm that many of us will know really well. It says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity and it goes through all of these things. It's like oil dripping down Aaron's beard and there's a whole lot of stuff in that that I don't have to get, get time to get into. Um, but it says, for there the Lord commands a blessing, even life forevermore. Yeah, we are, when, when we live in that place where there is this wholehearted agreement, we don't have to pray for the blessing of God. He's commanded it already. There, there is commanded blessing in that place. 
So there's incredible power in the corporate um, and in the agreement around the corporate. And there is a move in the West around, yeah, I don't need church. I just, I'm, I can express my faith, faith individually however I want. And just quietly, I reckon the enemy loves it. Because he knows if we get together and we agree and align around something that God wants to do, he is cooked. Absolutely cooked. So he would love to promote this thing of, well, you know, my faith is just my faith and I can express it individually. And yet one of our highest values as a house is freedom. So the last thing I want this to sound like is a controlling, thou must cometh to churcheth you know, and submit to my religious spirit kind of thing. That's, that's not what I'm about at all. But I, I, I want to make sure that we understand the power that we have in our midst when we agree together corporately. Yeah. It's huge. And the enemy would love to create a generation of orphans all over the place who are all individually expressing their faith. But we, as long as we don't come together and agree about anything, the enemy's fine. You can do what you like. See... The more that happens in the corporate, see, more is possible in the corporate. Even we see yeah, where two or three are gathered, there I am with you. There's, there's promises all through Scripture around when we are together, when we're in agreement. Yeah, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, sorry, it says, um, that at 2 and 4, actually. So there's a fascinating conversation going on in my head right now. It's really <laughs> awesome. I just wish it had dialed down a little. Um, voices, stop. Not Holy Spirit, anybody. <laughs> Moving on. Focus. Um, where it says they were all together in one place or together in one accord. Now, that wasn't talking about a little car because that would be really squashy. That was a Honda joke, just in case anyone missed that. <laughs> huh? <laughs> okay. Thanks for your support there, Jane. Um, the word there in Greek is the word homothumidon. It sounds like a dinosaur, um, but it means... Um, it's like they're, they're together together. Um, they're together of one heart and mind with a fiery passion is essentially what that word means. And in that place, the Lord poured out, you know, he poured out his spirit at Pentecost and he poured out the miraculous signs and wonders that he did through the apostles from that place of they were all together together. They weren't just together like we're here in one place, but we were, they were together together with a fiery passion. So more happening in the corporate. So this isn't just about what happens here. This is actually about empowering your own individual destiny as well. Because the more that happens in the corporate, and we've already said more is possible when we agree together than is possible individually. I've said this many times before, but quite often when I've been ministering to someone one-on-one, I often say, hey, on Sunday when we're together, let me pray for you down the front as well because I want to harness the corporate anointing for your benefit. But when, when more happens in the corporate, it raises my individual faith and expectation for more. So I go out expecting more and therefore more happens. And so I come back with greater faith in the corporate, which means more can happen in the corporate, which then in turn fuels my individual faith so that I can go out and more can happen. And as I come out with the testimonies of more happening, it builds the corporate faith, which then means more can happen individually. You get the idea? Yeah. I don't think I took a breath in that whole thing either. <laughs> So is this making sense in terms of why, I, why I'm really kind of interested in this is not just so we can have great church meetings, though I'm kind of interested in that because when we establish a zone of presence that facilitates encounter, people just walk in the door and they start encountering the Father before we've said a word. That's, that's what we want. 
We want it what the Celts used to call a thin place, where, where it's like the veil between heaven and earth is very, very thin, and it's easy to encounter him. And that is not random. That is, that is something that we have a lot more influence over than we think. So how do we go about this? I want to look at briefly at two passages where, one in particular, where Paul is talking specifically to the corporate gathering. There's not too many places in the New Testament where they're specifically addressing the corporate gathering. Um, this is one of them. And then I want to look at an incident in the life of Jesus that I've looked at before. And I want to look at it again from, like I said, angle 3.2. And then we'll bring this thing into land. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's if you want to go there, if you happen to have a Bible, an iPhone, an iPad, a whatever device. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now that word eagerly desire, it means to be zealous for and to be jealous for. Like um, Other parts in Scripture, it translates that as the word covet. So it literally means deeply committed with the implication of accompanying desire. So I'm deeply committed... So kind of like marriage, I am deeply committed with accompanying desire. That took a little while to drop, (laughs) which in my mind is a very logical scenario. Um, So he says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Now, for the Corinthian church, the context that Paul was writing is they they weren't in danger of not desiring it. They were overdoing it to the point where their belief was if they could speak in tongues, this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, we think, well, what's the, the tongues of angels? They believed that if they could speak in tongues, that that was the tongues of angels, that they were already transferring into being angelic beings and hence they weren't kind of as human as they thought they were. And hence, um, when you go into 1 Corinthians 7 and Paul's addressing marriage and, and sex in particular, they were of the belief that they were now angelic and they didn't need that. Yet at the same time, there was all this sexual immorality that was going on in the place. So it kind of starts all the way back here with, you think because you can do that, you don't need this because you're not actually human. And Paul's going, actually, no, you need to get married and you need to deal with that whole thing in that context. And that thought is flowing all the way through to here. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, gong, symbol. That's the context. So they were kind of overdoing it. Our danger is underdoing it. So he's saying, yes, I want you to eagerly desire the things of the Spirit. Now, most of our translations say spiritual gifts. The word gifts isn't there. The word is pneumatikos, which just simply means the things of the Spirit. So he's saying, eagerly desire the supernatural. When you gather together, it is right that you actually, the word there is covet, essentially. Covet the supernatural in your midst. Do not settle for showing up and it just being normal. I think that's a good word right there. So he's talking here to the church that is gathered. And if you remember 1 Corinthians 13 is that great love chapter that is spoken at weddings, read out at weddings a whole lot. Um, And it actually has... Nothing to do with weddings at all. It's not in that context, but it's still really cool and it sounds really, man, I really love it and I have no problem with it and I've read it at many weddings and I'll probably be many more to come. 
But he's speaking to the church gathered and right in the middle of it, he's saying, now, this is what love looks like. And then when it comes to your gatherings, verse one, he says, follow the way of love. Now, our mission as a church is to show the world what love really is. So this is kind of important for us. What does love look like as we show up and gather together in worship? Is this making sense in terms of the context? Yeah? So let's read on. So it says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to people or men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, interesting thing was going on as we are coming to understand it in the church. And the reason why Paul was writing these parts of this letter was those who spoke in tongues, again, thought they were these angelic beings. And they, they were saying, well, this is the pinnacle of all things spiritual. And you who can just prophesy, oh, you're kind of second best. And Paul's kind of doing the flip and saying, yeah, this is great. It's a great thing. Don't stop but let's elevate the prophetic and here's what we see why. And this is the point that I really want to make out of it. And now I've gone to women covering their heads in worship. Flick the page back. (laughs) That's a whole nother story. Um, But he said, I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, that was a kick right in the guts of the heart of everything that was going on for the Corinthian church at that point in time. Like, yeah, we kind of don't get it. But for what was happening there, that was just like a, you know, absolute punch right between the eyes. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and I speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring a revelation of knowledge or a prophecy or a word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless, lifeless, lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet doesn't sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If I don't grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is foreign to me. So it is with you, and here's the landing place of this part, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, excel in those that build up the church. So here's the point where Paul's really going after here. He said, when you come together, what does love look like in that context? What does love look like in the context as you gather together as the church? And the point that he's going after, we could go into all the little bits about tongues and prophecy and there's heaps in there that's really good. But the key point he's trying to make is when you come together, it's not about you and your individualistic spiritual expression. It's not about you. Stop turning up thinking this is about your experience. Turn up with the heart and the mindset that I am here to build up the body that we are here to build up each other. I am not coming to church to do my spiritual duty, to have my spiritual experience. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And when all of us turn up with that heart and that mindset, we actually all get blessed. And as well as that, in the kingdom, it actually says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I actually encouraged my way out of depression a number of years back. It was 2002, 2003. I'd been in ministry for 10 years. I now wasn't in ministry. I was taking a break, but I missed it 
horribly. And I was working a job that was kind of cool, but I'd kind of got it finished by about 11 o'clock in the morning. And for the rest of the day, I was bored out of my brain. And for someone like me, boredom is way worse than being busy. Way worse by a long shot. And I was bored out of my brain. And I wasn't doing the things that I loved. And hence, I was feeling pretty lame um, during that. And one of the things I worked out was, and I don't know whether it was the Spirit's idea or my idea or what, but either way, it worked. I determined that I was not going to leave the building on a Sunday without encouraging specifically at least three people one-on-one. And so every week, even though I was like, you know what, I just, God, I need you to do this for me. I need you to do this for me. I decided, no, I'm going to show up and go, there are at least three people that are going to be encouraged very specifically by me by the time I leave this building. And if I have to leave really late for that to happen, that's the way it's going to be. It was, I was that determined. And I literally encouraged myself out of depression because it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Giving is flipping cool. That's in here somewhere. <laughs> and if it's not, it should be. That's right. <laughs> Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't weeks where we've copped a a hammering out there in the big wide world and we come together just going, I just need to be in an environment of his presence. I'm going to place myself on the floor and just... That's cool. That's like, we all have those weeks. We get that. What we don't want is that to be our every week. Because if that's our every week, we're going to stay really mature. Really immature, sorry. Because in, in verse 20... And I've gone back to the hats thing. Here we go. <laughs> I <don't>, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Um, <laughs> Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children in regard to evil be infants, but in your thinking be adults. In other words, saying this whole thing of you turning up for your own spiritual good for your own spiritual expression, is actually thinking like a child. And I'm wanting you to think like an adult. In other words, you're coming together. You're here to build each other up. You're not here to build yourself up. And if you go down to verse 26, he says, What shall we say then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, you, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And then he says, you know, everything must be done decently and in order, which doesn't mean boredom, by the way. If you follow the context, decently in an order means in love with everyone else's benefit as the, as the goal. That, that's the definition of decently in order, not boring, which is what the church has done with that. As Well, it must be decently in order, which means it's boring. That's not what he meant because these guys were crazy. But he is assuming that everyone's coming with a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. In other words, you're walking in the door with that, carrying that already. I'm not turning up hoping that one might be there for me when I get there. I'm turning up bringing one for someone else. It's like I'm not turning up to hoping that there's a meal prepared for me. I'm turning up with a meal already prepared, ready to lavish it out. Now, when we all do that, something very, very different happens in the corporate atmosphere. Because you've made all of us walk in with that sucking sound coming from us. (laughs) I'm here for me. (laughs) Then the couple that are here to give end up, it really sucks. (laughs) 
<laughs> but when we all come to give, something very, very different happens. Now, let me jump over to Mark chapter 6, and then I'll kind of wrap this all together. There it is, Mark chapter 6. And again, I've spoken into this one before. But again, this is talking to, when we come to the corporate gathering, when we come to worship together. So part one is love looks like I'm not turning up for me. I'm turning up, bringing, I'm turning up carrying something already. Now, those of us that are parents and getting to church with kids in the car is just a fascinating challenge. And we think that, you know, no one has grievous bodily harm when we walk in the door. That's kind of success. I get it. I hear you, okay? Yet, there's a higher calling on us all to turn up carrying rather than sucking. That would be a good title, carry rather than suck. I probably won't use it, but... But you get the idea. There's an onus on it. If we're going to be mature and in love, that we turn up carrying something to give. Now, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? Where... What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Yeah, so far, so good. And then with the beginning of a new sentence, it all kind of takes a bit of a left turn. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. It's amazing just in one sentence how the wind changed. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his own relatives and in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, this is what we've got to understand about this particular thing. Because again, here we have a corporate scenario where something should have been possible but wasn't and it wasn't random. This is key. This wasn't random at all. This wasn't just, oh, God wasn't moving today. He was off somewhere else. He was at another church, you know, had something else on his mind. What they were dealing, what Jesus was dealing with here was a level of corporate unbelief. And the unbelief came out of an over-familiarity with who he was. Now, we can do this with God, but I actually want to talk about how we do this with each other. So this was the Son of God, Jesus himself, the perfect one. And his ability to release the supernatural and the miraculous had limits put around it by the belief system of the people that were gathered around him at that moment in time. This is huge. Why? Because they thought, I know this guy and that's all they could see. And they couldn't look past that to see the glory of God that was on him to recognize that and to receive from it. You see, we receive from each other at the exact same level of honor that we have for each other. Now, what does honor mean? Honor, the, the word honor has within it the word weightiness or weight. And that same word weight, kabod, actually means glory. 
So if we're like, honor in the spirit is, do I give weight to the glory of God that is on your life? And to the extent that I do, I can receive from you. So we see in scripture that when you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. In other words, when you recognize the grace that is on them and you honor that, you can receive from that gift at the level of honor that you have. Now, for many of us, I mean, a lot of us have known each other a long time, not all of us, but a lot of us have known each other a long time. And it's really easy to kind of go, oh yeah, I go to their kids' birthday parties. Yeah, I see them at Saturday Sport. Or yeah, we grab coffee every week and we chat and we have fun and do all of that kind of stuff. And we get over familiar with each other and we can forget the weightiness of glory that is on each other. And in doing so, we shut down the ability of Jesus to do his thing. Are we making sense? We're seeing this is the, the corporate presence is not random. So in our own environment, what does this mean? One of the things is we need to have sharp discerning eyes for the glory that is on each other. That we, we need to go deeper in recognizing what one another carries and be super intentional about that. Because we all carry different aspects of the glory of God. That's a whole nother message, but we, everyone carries something as unique as our thumbprint is. So is the uniqueness of the glory of God that is on each of us. And at this, while it's unique, there are themes and patterns and anointings as well. And quite often the breakthrough that I need is carried by another person in the room, if we're willing to see it. So we, we need to sharpen our discernment and, and say, Father, give me your eyes to see what's on another. And I remember here, I can't remember where I heard this, but I remember hearing someone saying, I love listening to prophetic words over other people because that tells me the glory of God that is on that person. And then I can relate to them according to that glory, not according to just what I know about them. That, that's so powerful. I love that. So let's not get... Uh, like, let, let's love being in each other's company and let's laugh and have fun and do all the stuff that we love to do. I'm not saying don't do that and let's all get all serious. No, please. <laughs> One of our core values is fun. So let, let, let's keep that. But in that, let's look deep and look for the glory that's on each other and, and draw from that because in that is our breakthrough. And then when it comes really pragmatically, in terms of as we gather together, Whoever is leading on a given day, whether it's a Viv, whether it's a Jen, whether it's a me, whatever, whoever it is, or whoever's speaking or, or doing whatever, one of the things that's really important in facilitating corporate presence is to honour the lead of the person. Because more often than not, they've spent at least a week, if not longer, praying into this very gathering. And so when they say, let's stand or let's raise our hands or, or whatever, and we kind of go, oh, I really don't want to do that. That's not, that doesn't really suit me right now. Well, again, back to point one, it's actually not about you right now. It's actually about the corporate and I'm here for you. So my actions actually impact the corporate atmosphere. Even if I'm hiding in the corner, I'm still here. May not be visual for people, but your spirit is here and your engagement or otherwise affects the corporate faith level of the room. Are we making sense? 
I hope this is a little challenging because it's, it's intended to be. I, w- I want to take us to a higher level because I think sometimes we're too flippant about, oh, yeah, God really showed up. And I love that. Don't get me wrong. I love it when you know, God really showed up and he took us by surprise. I love that. But I'm just saying it's not as random as we think. And we have a responsibility um, in bringing heaven to earth. There's a lot more at stake than just a decent church meeting. So when someone says, well, let's stand or let's clap or let's shout or let's whatever, usually it's not just, well, I don't know what else to do. Let's try something. Although, in all honesty, sometimes that does happen. Um, I'll speak for myself. But more often than not, it's actually something that's been planned, it's been prepared, it's been prayed into. And to the degree to which we're willing to honour what that person has carried and prayed into in spirit, we'll actually receive a breakthrough in that, whether we feel like it or not. Is this making sense? Um, I think I've heard Bill Johnson say, um, dogs do this sometimes. You know the dogs that do the point thing? You know, the, the what? Hunting dogs, yeah. That, yeah they smell the animal and they go... <laughs> or whatever. I mean, I, I'm not particularly canine, but like this, you know, whatever. You know, they point when they smell this particular thing. Now, what often happens is the other dogs, they may not smell it, but what they do is they honour the point and they go on point as well. <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, I think animals are hilarious in the best of times. But, but there's something powerful in that kind of lesson for us corporately is when someone's sniffing something out and they're kind of going on point. <laughs> Gee, I love the modern world with cameras and videos and things. But when they go on point, honour the point and follow and let's see where God takes us. Yeah? Good point. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. One of the things we've got to understand and what we can see, and I I can't give you exact chapter and verse for this particular point, so I'll just make it up because it should be there. No. Um, But where I'm drawing from is the, the level of corporate unbelief at Nazareth, shut Jesus down. There, there is a, what I've often talked about is there's a critical mass in the room. There's a critical mass of faith in the room. When, when it, like critical mass in atomic science means when you reach a critical mass, you're about to experience a nuclear fission and things are about to really happen. And if you're close by, you may want to shift in that instance. But in this case, you may want to be right at ground zero. And that is... When there is a certain critical mass of faith that is reached in the room, we step over into a breakthrough anointing where a whole lot more becomes possible. And it doesn't have to be 50% of the room necessarily. Sure helps if it is because it's a majority. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced where you get together a small group of people and who are all like just in faith and believing and not, not faking it. They're genuinely like, let's go, God's here, let's go after this. And stuff happens and then the same people come together among a bigger group of people and try the same stuff and it just kind of doesn't happen. Because the, the, the shifting of the number of humans involved in the thing has shifted the, the, the proportion, if you like, or the critical mass of faith in the environment. This is why quite often we've had times where in worship practice we've just been hitting, we're, we're getting rocked by glory because we've been in here for an hour or two and then a whole lot of people rock in having had fights with their kids on the way and in the car park and do all that. And all of a sudden the atmosphere changes and we're like, what happened? Now, we as leaders need to learn to navigate that because that's just people's real life. But what I'm illustrating is 
we carry something that actually shifts the level of faith in the room. And it shifts what, not just me, but what other people around me are able to experience if I don't take this seriously. Am I making sense? So if stuff isn't happening, what do you do? And this is the difference between I'm a carrier or I'm a sucker. And that really sounds bad too, but you know, is if I'm a carrier and I feel like stuff's not happening in the room, what do I do? I start to stir up my own faith and I start to take a lead and I start to step up my intentionality, knowing that I'm now contributing to the corporate level of faith as I do that. I don't just sit back and go, well, the meal's not that good this week. Oh, well, bummer, hey? Maybe next week. No, I start to stir up my own spirit. I start to, start to in my own heart and my own spirit, start to feast on the goodness of God and I start to lift my expression so that other people in the room start to get encouraged by what's happening with me and then they feel the courage to step it up a level and then another few people feel the courage and all of a sudden we're in a completely different place. One of the things I love most in worship is where it's being more led out here than it is from up there just because of the level of engagement of people's hearts. And we, we, we just take our hands off the wheel and just, all we do is provide a context, but just it, it's just happening out here. That's, that's the awesomeness. That, 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 that's when we're hitting a really, really cool place. And every single one of us has a responsibility in that because, back to point one, when we turn up, Love looks like I'm not here for me. I'm not here to get my church service, my encouragement, my teaching, although it's great that we get all of that stuff. Yeah, I'll take whatever's on offer. You know? <laughs> but that's not the main deal. Maturity in love is I come to give. I come for you. I come positioning myself in worship in such a way that says, not only am I going to lift up worship to God because he's worthy, but I want you to be encouraged by it as well. And then you're encouraged to lift up worship and praise and, then, and, and so on it goes. Are we making sense? Why don't we stand? Viv and Pete and Hannah, do you guys want to... And Jono. Do you guys want to jump on up? Now, when we do this corporately for each other, the overflow into our city and into our nation is significant. You know, it says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Paul says that in Galatians, Colossians 2.20, sorry. Colossians 2.20, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I've said this many times before, and that is, I often thought that that was, yeah, Christ in me is the hope of, me, of glory, as in me going to heaven. That was my kind of good evangelical understanding of what that meant. What I've come to understand is that Christ in me is your hope of glory, 
as in, as I express Christ in me, you're able to receive. As you express Christ in you, I'm able to receive of the glory of God that is on you. And Christ in us is our community and our city's hope of glory. Do you have something? Are you sure? Okay. So let's just go into hands out mode for a moment. And just for a moment, let's just position ourselves. And just let's let our faith just start to get stirred up in our own spirit. This is good practice. For some of you, you might feel like starting to pray in the spirit, and that's good because he who, pardon me, he or they who prays in an unknown tongue edifies themselves. They build themselves up. And building yourself up means you're more able to build the church up. <laughs> and now, if you have had that mindset that God's showing up and doing, some, doing things extra special is just kind of random, and I really kind of hope He will, I just want you to do something right now just to let go of that belief. Because it's a limiting belief. And I want you to make a decision in your own heart and spirit. I choose to be a carrier. I choose to come carrying something. Father, we repent of relying on someone else's sacrifice for our own well-being. Someone else's sacrifice of praise. And we determine as your people that we will bring our own. That we'll come carrying your presence. That we'll come carrying a hymn, a psalm, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, as Paul said. Help us to grow up in love. God, forgive us when we haven't seen the glory on each other and we haven't added the appropriate weight to the glory that's on each other. When we've become over familiar and give us eyes afresh to see what each other carries. And the grace to honour the point. The grace to honour that which is on each other. We just ask, Father, turn up your tangible manifest presence in our midst. Increase your presence, God. Over the last few weeks, we've been ministering into areas around pain and disappointment and shame and um, all those things of the past that have 
seemingly put shackles around our ability to dream, to believe, and even, even to enter in in fullness in environments like this. And we want to minister into that again today because, as I said last week, I, one of the things God said to me two weeks ago while I was having some carpet time was, the reason I'm turning up my manifest presence is because I want to awaken people's hearts again. There are, there are places in people's hearts that have stopped beating and have stopped dreaming because of past pain, past shame, past failure, whatever it is. And He's increasing His manifest presence to awaken those parts of us again. And one of the things I, I, I kind of feel prophetically, and um, I was feeling this before, and then while we were praying before the service, a few others said it as well, is that He, he wants to get like... Um, Holy Spirit defibrillators. You know those electrical things when someone's heart stops and then you go, boom, and you hit them with that shock of power and all of a sudden the heart comes alive again. I kind of feel like that's, that's what He wants to do. We're going to sing this song, How He Loves, because yeah, ultimately love is the thing that awakens our hearts. If you, if, you, if you read Song of Solomon, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal book, it talks about awakening in the context of meeting with our lover. And we know that Jesus is the lover of our soul and it's His love that awakens our heart afresh. It's His love. When we experience His love afresh, disappointment has a hard time staying around. Shame has a hard time staying around. So we're going to start seeing in a moment, but if you would like some ministry into that, if you feel like there are parts of your heart that need to awaken, just come stand down the front, come, whether it's lie on the floor, kneel on the floor, just come be down here so we know who to pray for. And we want to start to minister into that. Let me pray. And then we're going to sing and we're going to minister. Father, we just speak over every heart that has been touched by disappointment, by, by feelings of failure, by pain. And just as we sang last week, you taught our feet to dance upon disappointment. God, we, we just release that dance, to dance upon disappointment, that it will no longer limit us. That the pains and the failures of our past will no longer be limited us, but they'll be touched by your love and awoken afresh. We declare over you, your past does not define you. Who your Father is defines you. Who your Father is defines you. And He hasn't changed. So just increase your presence on our hearts, Papa. Awaken us afresh. Let's just worship for a bit and come on down. If we can pray for you into any of those things, come on out and let's do that.